Welcome to Wrestling With Heart, a podcast looking at pro wrestlers giving back to their community. Join me, Stanley Carr, as I interview wrestling's hottest names who use their platforms as entertainers to raise awareness and do community service. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Wrestling With Heart. This is the podcast where we chat with pro wrestling's biggest names and hottest names, talking to them about their careers inside and outside the ring as well as talking about their work out in the community, doing acts of community service and charity work. And with me today is the son of the legendary handsome Jimmy Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Boy. He is a former Southern Heavyweight Champion, former Tag Team Champion, the one and only Gary Valiant. How are you doing tonight? Good, sir. How are you doing? Good, good. It's a pleasure having you on, speaking with you. And uh, I want to talk with you about your upbringing. Where did you grow up? Nashville, Tennessee. So you're 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 from Nashville. Yes, sir. Music City. Okay. Yes, sir. So Nashville, you know, it's 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 been a hotbed for for wrestling for years. You know, the Tennessee territory is just a chock full of history, a who's who of names that have come through the area. Jerry Lawler. Bill Dundee, Sting, Hulk Hogan, Hulk, uh, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, uh, just to name a few of the people. Uh, tell me a little bit the about... The Undertaker came through here. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes, he did. The Undertaker was actually uh, was married to a young lady right out of West Nashville from uh, Hillwood High School. Oh, wow. Yes. No doubt. No kidding. Wow. That's that's yeah. awesome fact right there. Uh, for those of you who have followed wrestling for, for a long, long time, pretty awesome connection there. So Nashville, Tennessee, you grew up in Nashville. Uh, what can you tell me about some of your earliest memories uh, growing up as a wrestling fan? Well, uh, you know, I my dad was always on the road, so I was always, you know, wanting to be, you know, whatever he wanted to do, I, I wanted to be there. And the fairgrounds in Nashville, you know, every time he was here, I would always go. and. So it was, uh, it was, it was, I thought I was, you know, everybody looked at him as a superstar, but I looked at him as, as my dad, you know? So, um, you know, I didn't think nothing about it, but it was like the, the older I got, the more I wanted to do it because I, I could see everybody wanting to be around them and wanting to, wanting their autographs and wanting to hang out with them. And so it was like, man, this is really cool. And but when I got into it, it was like I didn't realize how much hard work it was. No <laughs> doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, you, I seen things, you know, that was going on that I didn't want to do, and, and that was the, what scared me the most. But you know, I, I've I've stuck to my guns. I've stayed law. I, you know, I'm 51 years old now. I've never drank, never smoked, never partied. So I believe that you know I just. I believe it helped what I've seen in the past. It helped me to be, become who I am today. So that never say die attitude surely uh, helps you to where you are now. And so you got your start in 1990, uh, helping uh, getting trained by your dad as well as Bill Dundee. Tell me about the training process. Do you feel it was difficult? Well, I, easy? I, I was trained with, with Bill in Nashville because my dad already left to go to Crockett. So uh, Bill trained me at the National Fairgrounds, 
And um, I trained for like six months. He ran the dog out of me, you know. And and I don't think training these days are as hard as it was back then. Because when I got in, it was like being in the mafia. And, oh, sure. And all jokes aside, but it, it wasn't what you knew. It was who you knew. And that was the only way you was going to get in the business. Hmm. And when Bill got finished training me, he didn't want me to depend on him. So he says, okay, you go out and you, you do your thing and see if you can do it on your own. And I, and I, all in much respect for that because he didn't just hand it to me because who I was. So after I got trained by Bill, I, my stepbrother and I, um, started training at Candy Divine's gym in Green Hills with a Japanese guy named Sanji. We was going to be, was going to train for, um, it was called, um, UWFI. It was, um, I think I got the, I think I had a videotape around here somewhere, but it was like a shoot, uh, amateur type shoot fighting in Japan. And we trained there for six months. And when it was time for, for us to go fight in Japan, my ex-wife at the time was, was pregnant with my first child. Well, she was having complications. So I told my stepbrother, so we're going to go and um, go over and fight, and I'll go on the next trip. Well, by the time the next trip came around, um, guys like Barry Horowitz and Ben Jordan and Rena Riggins was calling me, and Jeff Jarrett threw a good word in for me and said, hey, would you like to do some work with the WWF? And I go, holy crap, yes. You know, at that age, you know, who didn't want to do it? No, now, I wasn't. Biggest about, promotion in the world. Right. And, and you know, I wasn't worried about the money because I was 20-something years old. I was just wanting to be on yeah. TV. Yeah. But I got lucky enough to get to Russell for there for 10 years. Mm. And, you know, wow. I was paying my dues. and um, But I got to pay my dues with people that knew what they were doing. Like the Bret Hart's, the Owen Hart's. You know, uh, the guys that's been there and done that. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So um, I I was on top of the world. Oh, but, sure. But I didn't want to use my dad's name, so I used my step my stepbrother's name. I, I went as Gary Scott. And you can look me up. Um, and, and, you know, I was there from probably 92 to 1999. Oh, wow. Uh, but I was, um, you know, I got the – Robert Rue was there. The Hardy Boys were there before. Um, uh, who else was? AJ Styles came in, you know. And all, at the time, all of our all of us was paying our dues. Even Scotty Two Hardy was there. Scott Taylor. Mm-hmm. And uh, so everybody that was that was there the same time I was actually made it. Um. So you know. And then after I left there, I, I went to work for NWA. I got to wrestle um, Adam Pierce for the NWA World Title. I got to wrestle uh, Phil Shatter for the NWA, NWA National Title. So um, yeah, I uh, I just worked my tail off and and just kept working and kept working. And, and I didn't want to be my dad. I didn't want to be him. I just wanted to be half as good as him. And that's why. I didn't want to go out and drink. That's why I didn't want to go out and party because I didn't want to go and destroy everything he worked for. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you often hear a lot of times about 
wrestlers who go on to have kids of their own, like second generation stars, third generation stars, and they're making it in the business. They're they're huge, and so it's 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 kind of rare to see uh, somebody going in a different direction uh, with their life compared to their their dad, right? You know. And so kind of, you, you, you had mentioned you went to Japan. Tell me about the differences uh, between wrestling here in the States versus going overseas. Well, in Japan, it was more, it was more real. It was, I think that's how Dana White uh, became so big in the States because in the 90s, wrestling in Japan was like NFL football here. Mm. You know, it was, that was, that's what it was. You know, it was the biggest thing ever. And I think people in the States go, my word, look at the money they're making. And and I think that's where they got the idea to bring UFC. Because if you noticed, UFC had to go through a bunch of loopholes to get regulated. And sure. every state had a different rule and new, different reg, uh, rules and regulations and uh, had athletic commissions here and there to, to get through, you know, to go through the red tape. But I think that's, I think Japan is what made UFC as big as it is today. Oh, for sure. I mean, you see the mixed martial arts world being heavily influenced in today's pro wrestling. Like, look at Brock Lesnar. I right. mean, he's he's a, a crossover star in both worlds now with uh, with his mixed martial arts training and going back to pro wrestling where he started his career, you know, obviously of course he was an amateur wrestler before that. And just to right. see the star he became and Ronda Rousey as well. I mean, people kind of going back and forth. I mean, that's had to have had an influence on the product. Right. And, and I think, um, I think in a way that's actually elevated everybody, you know, it, you know, because people go, well, where did Brock come from? Well, when they, they said UFC, well, they're going to go back and watch UFC just to see how how tough Brock really was. Yeah. and Just like Ronda Rousey. Uh, so I think it all worked out better for everybody, you know, um, long term. Yeah. Do you feel like um, do you feel like it's it's helped introduce pro wrestling to, to newer audiences with the MMA influence? I, I think so, because. Um, you know, Vince McMahon was smart because he got everybody involved. He got the boxing world involved. Uh, he got MMA involved. So he got what he done is he just like when he started WWL back in the day, he went to every territory and got each and every big star there mm-hmm. because he knew if he got the big stars, they would watch. Well, he knew if he went and got a Mike Tyson, if he went and got a Ronda Rousey, well, it would draw more people there to watch and and you're correct it 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 made the whole world watch because it made people interested in what was going to happen next definitely and it's become the spectacle that it is so you so you got your training and uh you obviously started your career in memphis uh so tell me tell me your memories of the memphis territory well it was kind of funny because um the first time I ever went to Memphis TV, and you can look this up. I went with Ben Jordan, and um, I was just standing in the back, um, just watching, you know, the on the Channel Five, and 
Jerry, Jerry, Jeff, Jeff, Jerry Steady comes up mm-hmm. and he goes, um, what are you doing? I said, I'm just, you know, checking out, watching, you know, hanging out. He goes, no, not you're going to go to work. So he throws him in this orange jumpsuit, man, a guy named Rockin' Randy. And he throws us these orange jumpsuits and then it calls us the goon squads. And you can go and watch it on Memphis TV. Okay. And we wrestled, uh, I want to say, T.D. Steele and Ben Jordan. And once we done the uh, the TV deal, we worked the whole loop and worked Jeff Jett and Robert Fuller when they was the tag team champions mm. for almost a month. We Memphis, Louisville, Evansville, Jonesboro, you know, uh, wherever else on Friday nights, back to Memphis TV on on Saturday mornings, but it was it worked out really well because Jeff got to work with me and Jeff. Jeff's helped me out tremendously. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, when Jeff first signed with the WWF, Jeff gave me all of his tights, every one of them that he was wearing in Memphis because he had to change his whole gimmick. And uh, Jill, his ex-wife, the one that passed away, mm-hmm. she made them for him, and he just. I'm talking about somebody like Jeff Jerry giving you something like that. You know, that meant the world to me. And I have almost respect for that guy. Uh, but then, you know, me working for Memphis and working to look for Memphis got me booked to work for Global out of Dallas, Texas. When, yeah. when, when Memphis and Global was working together, you remember when, when, when Memphis went in and I think purchased the, the t- Texas territory. Yeah, they had they had like a um what was it? They combined the two promotions, they merged the two for a while. Yeah, and, and then after that I think uh there's somebody that came in and wanted to try to start a new company called Global Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. And they had Eddie Gilbert as the Booker. Yep. I think that's where um Booker T and, and uh Stevie Ray started as Ed yep. and experience. Yep. Yep, and then um, that's where um, Steve Austin started as uh, Steve Williams because mm-hmm. he was tagging up with a guy named Ron Price. Uh, and then after I after I uh, after the global, you know, um, that's where I first met the Lightning Kid, now X Pac, and you know Jerry Lynn, one one of the one of the greatest lightweights that that probably ever walked earth. Um, but it got me elevated to work for Smoky Mountain Wrestling for Jim Cornette. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I I went out and I paid my dues, but I wanted to pay my dues the right way. Also, you work for the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance, and you mentioned earlier that you got to no, you got I, to you got to wrestle Adam Pierce for the right. title, and he, that's when he was t- on the top of his game. And um, no matter if I won or lost. He done a a radio interview like two days later, and what he said about me, it, it, it didn't matter if I won the belt or not because the the kind words he said about me afterwards it just it blew me away because he said that he thought I was one of the best sellers that that he ever worked, and coming from Adam Pierce that that meant a whole lot, you know, and that was something he didn't have to say, but. Here we go again. Anna Pierce is a true professional. So he's going to, even though if he's a champ or not, he still is going to put somebody else over. And I thought that was really, uh, to me, I thought that was really cool. 
you've done some some humanitarian work of your own too. You've worked for different uh, done some charity work outside the ring, community service. Tell me about some of the stuff that you've done. Yes, me and my, me and my lady uh, that I'm with now, we we try to go every Thanksgiving or Christmas, just whenever once it's not not filled up. Uh, we go to a place called the National Mission downtown, mm-hmm. and we we hand out food for the homeless. Uh, so that really is it, it, until until you see how the people live, you you can't you can't really put it to words. But I just feel that if God can bow down and wash people's feet, why can't we? Sure. You know, mm-hmm. who are we to judge somebody else? And I think the biggest eye opener was when my son and I, my my oldest child, we went to Dominican Republic for a missions trip. And we was there for seven days. And for like three days, we worked on a church, but it wasn't just working on a church. We was laying the brick. But what people don't realize is it was no concrete mixers there. It wasn't, you know, we we had to mix the 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 the, the rock and the sand, mix it together, you know, by hand. We had to get the water out of the well uh to mix it. We had, you know, wasn't no no scaffold. We, we you know we had to stand on a brick and, and put another brick up. Oh, wow. Uh so uh and then we went and we visited their school uh but didn't realize it, that they go to school at night because it's a whole lot cooler because they don't have air conditioning. And then um uh, we went down to a place called the black hole. It is a like a big hollow uh, that you walk down and they tell these people there, they says, well, if you can build it, you can live there. Well, it's like 10 bit, 10 walls, metal walls, whatever, uh, just whatever they can find to, to build um, and dirt floors. Uh, and, you know, you could watch this stuff on TV all the time, but until you dare and you sit and smell the rumble and see how people live. You have kids you know, laying in the middle of the in the middle of the yard or the middle of the field with pigs and cows and and uh we went they had a little feeding center down there that you know the mm-hmm. the church went and fed the kids and um my son went and gave one of the, the, the kids a it was like a plastic plate. But there was different colors. And the, the the kid told my son, he says, no, they're wrong color. So my, my son went back to the pastor and he says, hey, why he why is he telling me the wrong wrong color of the plate? And the pastor told him, he says, we have to feed the healthier kids first to keep them healthier. Because the, the ones that's not so healthy are going to be passing away anyway. Hmm. So that is what really breaks your heart. Yeah, definitely. Is because because you know these 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 little ones don't have long to live, and there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah. that's when you realize, no matter what your life is going on, no matter what in the world you have going on in your life, until you live in somebody else's world, then tell me how bad your life really is. 
Yeah, I mean, they say, like, you never know what somebody else is going through. Um, right. You kind of have to count your blessings. Right. And be grateful and, for what you have. And, and and to this day, I, you know, I, I still have pictures of my son and I going over there because I want to go back and reflect on, you know, when I have a bad day, you know, I go, you know what? It can't be no worse than what they're going through. And what, but what really surprised me is, is each and every one of them kids over there, every one of them had a smile on their face because they don't know what our world is like. They don't know what somebody else is living. All they know is what they, the way they live in. And every one of them had a smile on their face. And that's just, it, to me, that's, that's amazing. And that shows me that God works in mysterious ways. Oh, absolutely. Because he's still taking care of them. Sure. So I guess I, I guess it's fair to say that that was your most memorable uh, experience helping someone. Yes, and, and you know, and, and 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 I think it opened up my son's eyes. You know, sure. as far as because it's these kids these days. Won't 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 won't. Well, you know, they, they don't think about, you know, wanting a $500 PlayStation game. Well, guess what? Them kids over there are playing baseball with a broomstick and a Gatorade top. You know? And that's when you go, you know, this is, is this is this the way you want to live? And, and I, I bring that up all the time to, to different kids mm-hmm. because the kids these days do not see the morals or, or, or see what really what what the meaning of of you know means something is really like sure sure so well listen uh gary i just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show it, it means a lot to me and i'd love to have you on again soon thank you so much and, and it's really such an honor and a true blessing to be able to talk to you i'm sorry if i talked your head off no and, um, no but, no it's, I, this is um, great but i really appreciate everything that you do and i appreciate you having uh you getting you getting the word out there and and i wish there was more people out there like you that to uh push the word and god bless you my friend and you're more welcome no matter what it is if you need anything please uh don't hesitate to get a hold of me i appreciate it thank you very much Thank you, sir. Take care. This is Wrestling With Heart. I hope you found this podcast to be informative and entertaining. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and look out for the next edition.